0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tail Chase podcast. We here at Tail Chase really hope that you and your families have had a happy and healthy holiday season and really appreciate you taking the time to listen in on what is going on in our little corner of the world. On this episode Graham and I interview a man who has been incredibly influential in both of our lives, his dad David Scarborough. Now For those of you who don't know, David is the guy who helped me get my start in falconry. Falconry has been an incredibly positive force for good in my life. And so to say I have a level of reverence for the man who helped my 14-year-old self get started in the wonderful world of falconry would be an understatement. He's a great guy with decades of stories spent flying birds of prey and, and taking wild game with them. That we cover some pretty incredible topics over the course of this episode and really look forward to getting to sit down with him in the future because we are just scratching the surface of some of the incredible things that he has seen and done over his storied career in falconry. So hope you enjoyed the episode and thanks for listening.
1: tail chase i'm nick we've got graham dave <laughs> the man the myth the legend Do- <laughs> dr strange kite yeah oh my. <laughs> where did that name come from
2: strange kite yeah it's an allusion to dr strange love okay what's the that movie. Okay. It's, a, it's a movie with peter sellers from the 60s where he plays uh, plays three roles and one of them is Dr. Strangelove.
1: Is that... Is he the advisor to the... No, he's the like the mad He plays scientist the president.
2: Looking. He plays the British... Ambassador. Mandrake. The, oh, he's a, yeah. He's a, like an uh, officer. Mm-hmm. And he plays... President, plays Mandrake, and he plays Dr. Strangelove, who's a German nut. Yeah. Nazi. But he's like
1: a scientist, and he's yeah. like... Uh, end of the world yes. doomsday yeah. guy. Does he have a doomsday device in it?
2: Uh, no, but the Russians have a thing called the doomsday machine. And, yeah. and something gets screwed up and they accidentally launch. And, and so there's no, it, way, to and there's no way to stop it. Because it's automatic and yeah. they're on the phone talking to each other. Sorry, you know, we just sent enough uh, nuclear warheads to turn you into a parking lot. Hmm.
0: So how did that nickname
1: come to be applied to you i don't know well you have yeah, always so, liked peter sellers oh, I, I, loved mean, I i grew it. up I loved, watching those yeah, movies and i love that pink panther and yeah what's i was talking to someone about the um what's the one where he's the gardener chancy oh Chauncey
2: gardener being there being there yeah, being there. yeah. Is that,
1: was i talking to you about that no, that's where he he keeps saying these they're not yes. even colloquialisms. Yeah, they're, they're, like, they're
2: inane comments.
1: Yeah, he's just talking about As long as gardening. the roots
2: are not severed, there will be growth in the spring. And they think he's a genius like, for predicting the stock market. Yeah. <laughs> and he's really talking about gardening. He's literally talking about gardening. That's funny. Yeah.
1: And does any like, it's almost like Baby's Day Out. It just, like, keeps getting more and more outrageous. Oh, yeah. Like, doesn't no, he become yeah. the president or something?
2: Well, he becomes an advisor to the president. Oh, okay And everybody's convinced that he's like a savant or something yeah. he's really, and every once in a while he says something where everybody that's watching the movie thinks they should get it now that he's not all there, yeah, and instead they just think he's clairvoyant or something <laughs> you know? yeah, so anyway. I remember
1: that one um okay, and so we get the illusion. So uh, tell us a little bit about you getting into falconry, a the, the little bit of the backstory. Uh,
2: well, um, in third grade, I read My Side of the Mountain uh-huh. and thought it was, I mean, I was like hooked on the idea, but I didn't realize it was really being done.
1: So did you know of falconry I, at all? It was all? the first that I'd ever point? heard of it. Okay. I,
2: that I that I remember. Yeah. And it was, you know, if you know the story, um, mm-hmm. it. And I thought it was really cool, but I didn't think that it was something that you could do. You know, I thought you had to run away and live in the Catskills in order to be able to do something like that. So, and then I met uh, a friend of mine uh, in seventh grade, and he was he actually had a permit, no bird, but he. Had a permit when all you needed was five bucks, and you could buy a permit in Missouri. This is Mark Barbaris. Mark, mm-hmm, Barbaris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and he said, Oh, no, you can do it. And I was like, I'm in, you know.
1: So, so you would have been 13, 14? Um, or 13, well, probably seventh grade. You
2: know, this was seventh grade when I met him. Yeah. But it wasn't until ninth grade that okay. he ran across some kid out in Leslie, Missouri that had. Uh, five red tails and a horned owl and a giant rabbit hutch.
1: Oh, my gosh. And
2: <laughs> he was, and he was uh, his dad took him out of nests, and his plan was to sell him.
1: Uh, like his pets?
2: Yeah. just Yeah. He just, you know. And uh, Mark bought his for $25 and uh, told me about it, and I contacted the kid, and his dad was mad because he sold it for only 25 so he said mine was going to be forty, which is exactly how much money I had to my name <laughs> it was forty bucks. So I got a, my sister's boyfriend to drive me out there and put this hawk in a box and take it home.
1: And it was a passage, right? No, it was an iris. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. immature plumage. Yeah, red it town. was
2: October, so it okay. had been in this cage for chicken wire cage for
1: my goodness you know what had they been feeding it Do you know
2: um i th- probably hadn't killed it i think he was feeding oh i'm sure not yeah uh they were feeding them uh, i think chicken necks wow and one of them escaped out of this thing and flew oh, up geez. in a tree in the yard and his dad thought it would be better to wing it and be able to sell a crippled one than let it They'll let you it know. get away he didn't have anything to lose, so he tried to wing it and he killed it. Which was
1: yeah. You know, so what'd know. you do after you left?
2: What do you mean? You're talking about oh yeah. Well when I heard about him killing the one I turned him in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so did the well did the conservation <clears throat> agent try to take your bird? Well it was
2: interesting because I didn't even have a permit at, at the time. Point? At okay. that point. At that point. and so what I did is I kept it at Mark's house. Oh, okay, so, so it was marks. So it was more or less, you know. Okay. I mean, it was mine, but it was on paper. It was, but in those days, nothing was marked or
1: regulated. Regulated.
2: Really. I mean, they, they didn't care. They didn't have a. You they could have, Didn't
1: have official falconry regulation. Not really. not really. Not really. It was just. I mean, you had the, the permit. permit guess, said but.
2: you could do falconry, and you could hunt with a hawk, and you could keep a hawk. That was it. It was real simple. Yeah. You did have to take a written test but it was super easy. Yeah. And uh no apprenticeship. No apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Pay your 5 bucks and uh
1: but then at uh, some point in your early falconry career they adopted that yeah. stuff and you yeah. had to go through all 76
2: that, and they made everybody even people with had permits for 30 years, had to take the test. Everybody had to take the test. Was that
0: when federal oversight slipped right.
2: in? Okay. Right, okay. That's That's the 1976, I think.
1: Was there a precipitating event that led to that, or they Mm-mm. just, Mm-mm. out of the blue, decided, we're going to start regulating no. this?
2: No, what happened was NAFA
1: yeah, that's what say. was okay.
2: aware of the fact that in Kentucky, you could keep one with a rabbit hutch. I mean, they really didn't care mm-hmm. in some states. What you did, so there was absolutely no standards, and Nafa, I, which I think to their credit, they could see how this was really bad PR. Mm. You know, some guy gets busted with you know a bunch of hawks in a box or whatever. You know, yeah, not not taking some care ugly of. situation. Some ugly situation. Yeah, And get some publicity. Yeah, and that's and, bad and, for all of us. and as far as the news is concerned, he's a falconer. Right. So they were concerned about that, and plus they were not only the PR, but they were concerned about the resource. So they, the, the F- NAFA actually pushed for federal regulations, mm-hmm. which is kind of unusual. That's
1: smart, because then we probably had more of a say. In, <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Well, and uh, at that time, there were quite a few states that did not allow it.
1: I think Kansas actually Kansas was, was
2: illegal. One. There were falconers there, but it was illegal. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but there's a legal term for the situation where if it's not specifically allowed it's you can't not allowed do it. yeah. yeah
1: unless it's stated that you can it's right. permissible code which is how right Missouri Department of Conservation yes is set up. yes yeah.
2: and and that's the way it was with a lot of states they just hadn't got around to making it legal therefore it was illegal
1: mm-hmm. okay so gotcha. and there were
2: even some states where there was a lot of political pressure not to make it legal okay and you know they did things like it used to i don't know what it is now but at one time michigan falconry was legal but you couldn't get a raptor from michigan so mm-hmm. you had to find a state that you could get one from that's or,
0: interesting you're not allowed to hunt doves there either
2: yeah i think the same way in iowa isn't it
0: no you can hunt doves in iowa for sure yeah okay because
2: in my memory you couldn't huh but anyway. they're a
1: songbird in, in in Michigan, Michigan. that's yeah. how they, they
2: consider. Act. That's how they do it. Yeah. So they must have. So they have a state law against shooting songbirds. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. So. So it's still illegal now in mm-hmm. Michigan. Okay.
1: Um. Okay. So you each had your red tails. each
2: had our red tails. Mm-hmm. What'd you do with them? Uh, tried to kill them. <laughs> 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 we didn't. We were weighing them. Like on a baby scale. I mean, we yeah. And if they'd have been anything but a red tail, they probably would not have survived us. But. It's
1: incredible. Sure, even weighing them, you know, without oh, well, knowing much. You know, to the nearest Was four pounds. North American falcon and hunting hawks, a thing. Yet? That
2: came out in '65. So yeah, it had been out for seven years when I got started. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. Most of the books, though, we didn't we didn't get our hands on that. For years, we mm. we used uh, British books: uh, yeah. Falconry for You, The Art and Practice of Hawking. Yeah. Um. Gosh, I've forgotten the names of them now, but okay, you know, old they were old even then. Um, and they of course they did they treated budios like,
1: uh, you know, yeah, may, you may yeah, as well no. have a raven. Mm-hmm. You know. Tell you know. us about the baking grease and the jesses. Oh
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we, uh, we we oh gosh, we wasted so much time. But we were constantly making new jesses and rejessing our hawks. Instead of hunting, we rejest all the time, you know. But uh,
1: <laughs> it's like accessorizing Barbies.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it, it's pretty much. But it, well, and plus we made such crappy jesses that we're breaking them all the time and tearing them up. And, them up. and yeah. one time, we uh, we used bacon grease on these. Jess is in leather le. Back in those days, we used leather leashes. It was like a leather Jess. Uh You know, it had a button on one end, and and that was kind of the standard of care at the time. And we uh, soaked them in bacon grease to keep them supple. And I remember Mark's hawk. uh, We had him tied to this log-like perch thing in his garage. And we came home from school one day, and he was standing there with his entire leash in his crop. And and he, and he was still tied to the to the perch, and he was just standing there with a stupid look on his face, with with the leash hanging out of his mouth. Uh, yeah, it was pretty stupid. I guess
0: hawks like bacon too. Well,
2: I mean, I don't know, but he oh man, he did funny. his best to swallow it. So
1: yeah, and he survived that. Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. He survived. He lived to be a, a fairly old hawk. He ended up catching a cat in uh, Wisconsin, and it bit him, and he died from what that.
1: Were their, what were their names?
2: Uh, Comanche was Mark's hawk, and mine was Banshee.
1: Okay. Because
2: he screamed like a Banshee. That's all he did is scream.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you did catch game with him.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, Banshee did was doing really well in his second fall when I got a scale mm-hmm. and uh, ran into Mike Hempkins who helped me, you know, figure some things out. And he was starting to catch a lot of game. And then uh, I Did lost Did he have it. Melanie yet? Oh, he had had Melanie for years by that point. She was okay. like, you know, let's see. I think she was born in the late 60s. Hatched okay. in the
1: late 60s. What, and she was Melanie? an imprint?
2: Yeah, she was an imprint. She a, was a, a friend of mine. imprint. Female redtail, red tail. Mm. yeah, she was she was very, uh, she was a good game hawk. He started hunting with her. First of all, he got her when she was t- tiny, downy, and he didn't know what he was doing, really. But you know, he he figured some things out along the way, and uh, she was a very aggressive game, aggressive bird. And I mean, he took uh, over a hundred rabbits every year with her. Wow. You know and he and he tended to fly her off the fist because uh, he wanted a challenge. Hmm. And uh, she was good. You know, she was not spectacular, but she was able to get the job done very efficiently. Yeah. And she was she was a good hawk. He took when she was in immature plumage. He took white-tailed jacks with her. Wow. And so she, you know, November he he took her. I think he, it was at a Napa meet. I'm pretty sure uh in uh, yankton south dakota and she Very took cool. she took i think she took two whitetails in uh, during the meet that's which awesome. is tough they're they're not only they're not easy to catch but they're really hard to hold on to
1: right big bigger than a black
2: oh gosh huge yeah huge and unafraid yeah you know
1: they're like a small dog
2: yeah they'll hop they'll they'll they'll, they'll if they're curious, they'll hop toward you. Didn't
1: yeah? Didn't uh, <clears throat> he like cropped her up?
2: Yeah, before the nineteen seventy five <laughs> meet. I love these stories. He yeah, um he 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 you know he worked at the zoo and once daylight saving time was over, he really only had a couple of days a week to hunt with her. But we were getting ready to go up there, and he thought uh, to make her prime for it, he would give her a domestic rabbit, bag like a of domestic rabbit, rabbit, big honkin domestic rabbit and he made the mistake you know those things are like fat mm-hmm. I mean there's f- there's an inch of fat on them like a duck you yeah. know and he let her uh pig out on it and she ate a- all this fat so she couldn't even put her crop over she ended up getting kind of a sour crop I mean it didn't kill her but anyway so we get all the way up to South Dakota and she's still way overweight, like. <laughs> weeks away from being able to fly you know and he thought you know we came this far i gotta try it so we saw it it was snow on the ground you could see this jack out in the field so we stopped the car on the highway and he gets her out gets ready and kind of starts walking toward the jack and the jack comes hopping toward us like to see what we're about and it, it gets probably 30 yards away and stops and just sits up on its you know, bottom like a dog sits and just looked at us
1: like, where are you?
2: You know, and of course she didn't.
1: And she just looked at she it. She just looked at it. She didn't even.
2: She didn't even flinch. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Was she ever around dogs? Yeah. Um. I'm, like, I wonder if she would have tried to kill a dog. Like, you know. A you jack mean jack because wrestler. she's aggressive? Well, yeah, I mean.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember. No, she hunted with beagles. I, mm. There was a guy over there, just a, a beagler, that would show up over there. Yeah. And, uh, and she would catch rabbits that the beagles were chasing.
1: Did you ever hunt with that guy? With your no. dogs?
2: No. No, I never did. I ran into him. Yeah. You know, several times. He was over there a lot. But I was always flying passage birds mm-hmm. by that time.
1: So then you got a little experience under your belt. Um. Tell us about the best redtail you ever
2: had. Yeah. Uh, 76. I trapped him September 26th, which is pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, trapped him with a BC with a rat in it. And uh, he had the best attitude I've ever seen in a redtail. He um, was a little bit harder to hood than the average but i and i'm not sure he could actually have been a very small western female mm-hmm. but i always thought he was a male especially at that time
1: what was his name
2: sob Why? was his name cuz he footed me really bad when i was trying to jest him oh. and that's what i said so, <laughs> so that was his name yeah but he, he uh, called uh, sob he for, like, I, I called him sob yeah
1: wasn't he like when it <laughs> er, like between the bed yeah
2: he what he did is i had him on in a sock on the bed Mm -hmm. and i was messing with the equipment like to put it on him and he flopped off the bed and was flapping his wings between the bed and the wall Mm. and so i i didn't want to hurt his feathers so i just kind of grabbed him like a bunch of laundry to Mm -hmm. throw him back up on the bed and he got me yeah pretty good but yeah he was um The first time out, if I remember right, the first time out, he hit a rabbit but didn't hold it or something. Mm -hmm. And then I think the second time out, he caught a rabbit off the fist. And the rest of the time I had him, he was never skunked. He caught a rabbit, at least one, every time I hunted with him after that. And his best day was 11. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time the NAFA meet, which happened to be in St. Louis that year... By the time the meat started, he had caught a hundred rabbits, and
0: so you caught him september twenty sixth september twenty sixth NAFA meat what middle of November yes
2: he caught eighty nine wow. rabbits in November and i and because of the meat, you know I knew the meat was going to be a series of days like i think it was three or four days of hunting mm-hmm and so I thought the best way to do it would be to hunt like that. Hunt three or four days and then intentionally take a day off. Then three or four days and then intentionally take a day off.
1: This was when it was competitive, This right. was, so Yeah, the Nathalie was competitive. The,
2: I wanted to win the thing. Yeah. And and people were telling me, Hempkins didn't think a passage bird could do it. He didn't. He thought you needed an I.S. female. Okay. And he had never seen a, a good passage <clears throat> bird, Yeah. apparently.
0: I mean, that's... Better, I mean, those numbers are, like, yeah. pretty much unmatched.
2: Yes, yeah. and I I never hunted with him in the morning. In other words, I, it was always one o'clock in the afternoon or later. Wow. And it was uh, it was the most fun um, with a red tail by far that I've ever had. How many
1: did you catch with them total?
2: 175 rabbits in 53 days of hunting. Yeah.
1: So what
0: what do you think? I mean, obviously, the rabbit situation at that time was phenomenal. We had it was, but a, mm-hmm. it, it's a, more than that. Oh, for What sure. made him so for sure spectacular?
2: Oh, the the bird, the passage male, the same size bird I flew the year before, handled, tried to handle the same way. As soon as he caught one rabbit, he would stop. He would, you could fly him, but he wouldn't try. He just quit, and I flew him the whole season and kept trying to take multiples. He just wouldn't. He just would not do it. The sob, not only was he, um, I mean, Saab was so easy to get off a rabbit, even alive. You know, a lot of hawks, uh, while it's still alive, you, you, you know, they don't want to let go at all. Mm-hmm. And I, if you were careful, if, you, if he saw the food in your fist and you were standing up, he'd leave the rabbit to come to your fist. The rabbit would, could run away, you know, um, he he was very easy to remove you know to take from a kill but he also had um uh, you know i mentioned his attitude i've never seen a red tail that was more he was a fanatic about altitude you know mm-hmm. in tree or on a pole or whatever if he you know a lot of times they'll miss a rabbit near the base of a power pole that has two or three levels of arms on it right well most red tails will get you know if if they're close to the poles, they're just going to fly up to the lowest, and then look down for the reflush or whatever. Right. That was not how he did it. If he if if it was too steep to climb to the very top, he'd land on the one of the lower ones, and then he'd ladder. You know, ladder his way mm-hmm. up to the very. He and, and wouldn't stop till he was to the top.
0: So tell me a little bit about his hunting style. Was he? Like if you flushed it, he was going for it instantly, or was he a little bit selective on his shots? No, he was.
2: He was. Now he was smart. I mean, you could see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd do things like, um, you, he would anticipate if it's running through heavy cover and there's and it's headed headed toward opening, and opening, he might pitch up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I saw him do that many times, and he also. I mean, every red tail in St. Louis will wait on. I mean, the way it was in St. Louis. Where I hunted, every redtail would wait on because the fields sometimes were huge.
0: So they'd come over. They'd have to, Uh for
2: one thing. But also, uh, and a lot of fields were, you know, like I hunted in uh, fields that were almost exclusively Queen Anne's Lace. Real thick Queen Anne's Lace. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't get through it unless they were coming straight down. Yeah. And so they would, you know, and and he, so anyway, long story short, he did a lot of waiting on. Interesting. like, I think the day he took 11, I think he took seven of them from waiting on, if I wow. remember right. And when what? I say waiting on, I mean from an aerial position. Yeah. You know, I'm not talking 500 feet Right. Or How high, typically? Oh, it kind of depends on the cover and the situation, you know. Mm-hmm. But probably most of the time, uh, between 100 and 200. It kind of depends that's on still, the field. I mean, that's higher than you know. any
0: tree around. So. Well,
2: you know, when you think it's a rabbit that he's after, um, he needs to get down quickly. Mm-hmm. It's not flying. Right. You know what I mean? So it would have been, uh, a waste of time and worse to be 500 feet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and a lot of times he would see a rabbit half a mile away, you know,
0: would he go chase and it he'd down? He'd go catch it. Okay. You,
2: he, you, and you could tell what he was doing, you mm-hmm. know, like you'd be hunting and you, maybe you hadn't flushed anything for a few minutes and you look up and you see him bobbing his head, and then he takes off. And you could tell by the way he took off, it was a flight. Mm-hmm. And he'd get going, he'd maintain altitude, maybe even gain a little bit. And a lot of times when he got over the rabbit, he would shoot up, straight up, pitch over, and then come straight down. And it was pretty so spectacular. He, he had him just and figured he'd it out. He'd had him figured out. Yeah. So when he, he was good.
1: If, it was, if he caught it a long ways away from yes. you, would he start eating oh for sure okay oh yeah He'd just go okay. oh yeah so it wasn't yeah. like he was like all right no he wasn't like a... an
2: imprint looking for me to come you know feed come him up and okay. no no he would he would do what he would do but uh, he, like i said he was real easy to get off of a rabbit without you know i i just hold the rabbit still and uh he'd be off of it mm-hmm. you know
0: that's incredible yeah have you had any birds that you felt like were as capable as him since? Or was he just an absolute specimen? I don't
2: think... Um, I think I've had redtails that were as efficient, that, you know, that were good at catching a rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really never had... Since then, I've never had a redtail with that many rabbits to take. Right. So, you know, I had a, I had a passenger in 1981 that I flew when I was in college that uh, I think, oh, I don't remember the total number that he took, but he was a good, he was good at it and and might have been, and I don't know, just didn't have near the situation. I was living in Columbia, Mm -hmm. which was nowhere near as good a place to hunt uh, as St. Louis. yeah was. But yeah. It it was so with the rabbits were thick enough in Saint Louis that I after a while with him, um, I was not just trying to see how many I could catch. I was trying to make it hard. I was trying to make it challenging. So I would intentionally hunt there were fields there that most guys wouldn't even hunt because it was too hard. And that's where we would hunt. You know, that we had a huge uh field, I mean it was Half a mile long and several hundred yards wide, and it was solid Queen Anne's lace, just thick. It was hard to walk through. (laughs) You know, you needed chaps and and you had to be in good shape to just walk through it. And I would just turn him loose at the edge of the field and start out into the field. And he'd see rabbits moving from an elevated perch, you know, and then he'd come out and you could tell where the rabbit was because he'd more or less point it for you. He'd (laughs) fly out and look straight down, and you just run in his direction, the rabbit would move and he'd catch it. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: That's so. awesome. I, I really wish I could have seen that. Yeah. Because that, like, I've, I've had red tails that, you know, like, we caught game with and, you know, did fine, mm-hmm. but never one that I felt like, well, I take that back, frightful. Uh-huh. That bird that I had flew mm-hmm. in senior year of high school, Right, she manhandled rabbits. Yeah. If I flushed something, yeah. she caught it. Right. Like there there's no question. Yeah. But it was that was at the time when you'd go 3 hours between a flush. Yeah. Like then you were working your tail off to just produce anything for Yeah. It. And so like we scratched out, you know, some, some rabbits, but I I feel like maybe that bird, you know, with mm-hmm. good numbers, would right. have just stacked them up. Right. But other than that, like birds that like, yeah, we make it work. But they're just not that competent at figuring out the the timing of, okay, it's about to make it to cover. So pitch up and either wait or time it where you're coming down right at it. And, you know, so many times they get hung up in the brush behind the rabbit. Right.
2: Right. Well, I'm sure that, I'm I'm confident that uh, passage red tails that you trap, if they've caught a rabbit, it was surprise. Mm-hmm. And You know, it may as well have been a mouse. Yeah, they dropped on it. You know, it yeah. wasn't a pursuit, yeah. right? And I'm convinced from what I've seen with many, many passage red tails, they have to learn how to do this, how yeah. to catch a rabbit that's been flushed, yeah. a rabbit that's running, instead of a rabbit that's hopping along oblivious. Right.
0: Do you remember that, hon- that red tail shasta? Mm-hmm. That bird was the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. He he would kind of chase rabbits yeah. that you flushed, yeah. But you could tell he was holding back. Yes. And almost every single rabbit that I caught with him was either squirting out the S- back or sneaking or way away yeah. and sneaking. Yes. Yeah. And that's just he'd catch yeah. them. Yeah. But those are the ones that he caught. Yeah. If you flushed something and it was running hard, right? I I, I remember it perfectly. It was up on. Uh, the property north of my parents there mm-hmm. that tends to have a lot of rabbits mm-hmm. flushed one way out in the open by right. this pond mm-hmm. and he was right behind it pumping mm-hmm. like four feet behind it and never gained ground yeah. on it for a hundred yards yep. and it put into this tiny little patch of cover mm-hmm. and he pulled up in the tree yes. above it yes. and I'm talking like now it's a hundred yards from anything thick Right. I walked up and flushed it and it ran out through an open cattle pasture for 200 yards
2: and he didn't, and he
0: didn't even he didn't even yeah. go after it he just yeah. sat there and watched it yeah I don't know.
2: <laughs> well and there and I think some birds too just its personality or whatever it's the way they're geared yeah and I've had some redtails even some good size redtails that didn't wouldn't hunt and I don't know if they weren't willing to hunt with me but mm-hmm. flush rabbit after rabbit and they didn't do anything yeah at all you know and then there's birds like sob that sheesh, it was game on you know every time. Another thing about him that was kind of different uh, is again immature uh, plumage. He would uh, drive wild red tails away. Hmm. We'd be out hawking, minding you know our own business, whatever. And I'd look up and he's taken off, and I knew. By the way, he flew what he was doing, and you just follow the line of flight, and there's a red tail over there, quarter mile away, in a tree, yeah, and he would fly right at him. He never made a sound, he didn't scream at him, but he would fly right at him almost like he was going to catch him, hmm. you know, and knock him out of the tree, and it didn't matter if it was a haggard or what, yeah, he would just drive him away he'd
1: turn around and come and back. he'd come
2: right back and go back to hunt hmm. and i and I always felt like he was thinking of me as a territory you know like this is my place to hunt and he i thought that that was kind of unusual i never saw that in any other bird. i've seen females i as females that were aggressive i i had
0: i had a passage female that i flew that i lost Mm -hmm. um that was hyper aggressive I, i lost her the first hunt out yeah. And she knocked two different red tails out of a tree and a horned owl out of the tree. <laughs> all within an hour. Yikes. Of me chasing her around. Right. And it was like just the, the weirdest thing. Man. Um, and the asp, that red tail I flew, she was like social with other birds. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't go knock them out of a tree. But if mm-hmm. one came and mm-hmm. landed close to where we were hunting, she'd go sit next to
2: it. Go check them out. hmm And then she Even sit adults? Would she yeah. do that to adults? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Did she ever peep at him? or sure. Not that I heard, oh, okay.
0: but yeah, she'd go sit by him and then kind of sit there for a minute and either they'd leave or she'd come back over and keep Interesting. Hmm. Um. So we never really talked about the kiting and how that kind of tied into the Dr. Strange kite. Thing. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you flew red tails initially and then yes. how, how did you kind of get started into flying falcons? falcons
2: well you know I was always interested in doing that eventually mm-hmm. and I'd flown some excipiters um, a couple of Harris's and, um, uh, let's see the Peregrine Fund had a a uh, female uh, prairie anatom that was an imprint but had not been hand raised mm. she was, but she lived in the lab basically so she was totally socialized um
1: they fear with, like, the glove thing?
2: They may have. I, I'm not sure about that. Probably did when she was little. Okay. But th- my point is that they didn't handle her. Yeah. She was just there with people around. And um, the they needed a home for her. And the guy that worked there knew Art and asked Art if he knew somebody. And Art, you know, put him in touch with me. So they shipped her to me and... That was the first, really.
1: Was this Ida?
2: Yeah, actually, I I had uh, trapped a prairie uh, the year before that, a passage prairie. That was an experience. I mean, I'd never been around one, and thought I'd <laughs> it trapped an alligator or something, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was a good experience, and it, it made it kind of piqued my curiosity even more.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, then the the uh, so prairie.
1: was she. Uh, hard pinned when she got to you.
2: Yeah, almost. If I remember right, she was almost hard pinned. Like not quite. days or something. Right, days. real close. Um, okay. And I uh, tame hacked her.
1: Okay. For this is when you lived out in the country. Right? right,
2: and that was a was good Sarah experience. born yet? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, she so was. So it
1: was you, mom, Sarah, and Lucy, Lucy? Mm-hmm. the Springer. The Springer. Uh-huh. Okay, so you tame hacked her out of your. This is on TT. Yep okay and
2: she spent a lot of time sitting on the barn Uh uh-huh and when i came home from work i always let my homers out let them fly and she'd be sitting on the barn because she figured out that that's what was going to happen and i'd let them out and she'd chase them off just out of sight up into the sky you know miles away you lose sight of everything with binoculars and then later she'd be back and i would um, a lot of not every night but a lot of nights I could bring her in I didn't have to call her she'd come in and sit on the porch or something I just pick her up and put her in the barn.
0: Did you have any kind of telemetry or anything? No. About
2: her? No <laughs> just let her fly. Very cool. Yeah yeah it was
1: real quick you might want to not mention anything about the telemetry I don't know if back then you had to have two transmitters. You didn't
2: on. you okay. didn't have to then. Okay yeah, I
1: um, bet it made you have really good homers, too.
2: It was good for everybody. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, she was, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but uh, when I was teaching her to wait on, I would throw her a pigeon, mm-hmm. and she'd chase it, and then she'd come back. Of course, she wouldn't catch it, and she'd come back, <clears throat> and one time I did that with eight pigeons. Mm-hmm. She kept going up. Now she wasn't going very high. Never did go very high at that stage. But she would come back and okay. chase another one.
1: And So how did she feel about Lucy?
2: She didn't like her. She yeah. had a problem with coyotes even. She would drive coyotes off. You know, you'd put mm-hmm. her up over a pond and start walking toward the pond. And all of a sudden she'd start stooping at something. And you'd see this coyote run over the hill with her stooping at it. <laughs> did <laughs> yeah. she kill any ducks? Um... I don't believe she did.
1: Okay. So you were hawking pheasants? Mostly? Pheasants. Okay. Only
2: The only thing she ever killed was pheasants. Okay. I didn't have a dog that I could hunt with. Was know. she
1: the one that knocked the one into the roof of the barn?
2: No, that was uh, Havoc. Okay. It punched but one. But she caught three. Yeah. She caught three in one, I'll call it one flight. I mean, she kept going back up. Uh-huh. She caught a hen... And a dog, and she caught it in a farmer's yard. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, in Cecil's yard. And his yeah. German shepherd came out, and, sh- and she left it. Yeah. And flew up on the barn. Well, I went over and picked the pheasant up, because I couldn't call her down in the yard with the dog there. Right. And so I started jogging back to where we started, and she just followed me and went back up. And I flushed a hen... Mm -hmm. and she knocked it down and it went into this roll of wire fence and, you know, she couldn't get it Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, she wasn't going to leave it. So I reached in and grabbed it and stuck it in my coat and she went back up and I flushed a rooster, which she knocked down and killed. So, yeah. Uh And this
1: is, is, so you couldn't run a dog? Uh Uh-uh. I, I
2: probably, I might have been able to eventually. Right. I don't know, but she really had a problem with them.
1: She so how are you flushing the pheasants? Then? Just like
2: Running. you flush rabbits, man. You know,
1: you put the bird up and run. put the
2: bird up. And she was, uh, she was, uh, she had a lot of stamina and had a good attitude, and you, she was, you couldn't call her down. I mean, you could eventually, but mm-hmm. if she went up and you flush something and it got away, she'd come back and go back up and you'd run around for half an hour and you couldn't flush anything. She would see something and cover a half mile away and she'd go fly over it. And so you'd have to run over there and start flushing. I mean, and
0: there were that many pheasants around yeah. back then?
2: Yeah, they were pretty good. That was, wow. that was 1989.
1: How many pheasants did you catch?
2: she okay. caught uh 17 pheasants her first year no dog and, wow. and i had no clue what i was doing That's incredible. and i didn't really catch anything uh early in her early in the fall i think in october she i lost her with the hood on she, I wasn't holding on tight to her dresses and the dog came running around the corner in the leaves, you know, mm-hmm. and it spooked her and she took off and, and I just wasn't alert enough and she just got off the fist and started hovering away and she ended up, I, you know, I didn't know, long story short, I, you know, it, it was close to dark and, I, you know, I, last time I saw her, she was about a half a mile away to the north. And it looked like she was coming down in standing soybeans. So I spent like a week looking for her in the soybeans, just walking, you know, because I didn't have telemetry on her mm-hmm. at the time. And and then two weeks later, a farmer called me and said that he found her. And she was in like- In that a, field? No, she was like a mile south.
1: With the hood still with on? With the hood
2: still on and she'd been standing there long enough there was mutes, a lot of mutes and he oh, he's just darn near he's, he was daydreaming as he was combining these beans in this other bean field and he said that he saw something and he stopped and by the time he stopped he couldn't see her anymore because she was too close to the oh front my of the gosh. Combine. so he backed up and saw her and went around her and called me and, and he said, I, f- I found your hawk. And I said, how do you know it's my hawk? He said, well, he's got one of those little hoods on, or hats on, or whatever, you know. And I, and I said, well, how long has she been dead? He said, oh, no, she's not dead. She's just standing there. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> so I raced out there as fast as I could. And he'd gone on with his combine. I mean, he didn't realize she was at risk standing there, you know. And when I got there, there was a red tail and a tree about... 100 yards away oh my gosh so it's two weeks two weeks yeah
1: it's incredible yeah like how and that resilient was her first year are. in juvenile plumage
2: juvenile plumage yeah and so and you
1: got her back to health yeah
2: she was like she weighed like 500 grams or something oh, ridiculous man. I mean she was really thin and mm-hmm. she re- took I fed her I fed her for I think I fed her up for two weeks just you know fed her well and raised her weight up and you know just tried to get her back on an even keel but I I it may be coincidence but she was more serious after that you Um, know I've
1: read about um that concept with uh, imprints you know, imprints yeah. and chamber birds—that mm-hmm. it's like a, a rite of passage that passage birds go through of yep. learning what real hunger and starvation yep. is. Yep. You know um, that they early d- right right that um, captive bred birds don't get to get the luxury of going through. Yep.
2: Well, and plus, when you think about it, passage birds—it's a screening process. Yeah. The bird you trap in October is the one that didn't starve in September. Right. Right. And whereas with captive bred birds, they all survive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They could be, you know, absolutely genetically inferior, but they're, you know, somebody's going to feed them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So.
0: So. So when did the kite come into play?
2: Okay. Um, Let's see. In 1994 um there were there was people that were using balloons at that time uh, messing around with helium balloons, uh, especially with jurors apparently and uh, uh, I liked the idea and I tried it and it was a pain in the butt it was just such an you know one thing after another and if there was any wind at all which in Missouri there's always wind um, it was frustrating because the kite was or the balloon was 50 feet off the ground and 100 yards downwind, you know, because they just wouldn't rise enough. Uh, And we went to uh, Martha's Vineyard for vacation. So that would have been in July. And uh, I got to parasail. And while I was up there on that kite, I thought, well, this is just a big kite. Man, I wonder if they make a big kite that you could use instead of a balloon. So when I got home, I started looking into it. And I can't remember if I used the internet or how I did it, but I came across that place into the wind in uh, Colorado and talked to them and they talked me into trying some uh, parafoils, which really weren't the best kites, but they, you know, I did do it, it worked, but it was not ideal. But anyway, I so I experimented with different kites and ran into these Dan Lee kites guy in Wales um, made really nice, efficient kites that flew more nearly straight up, you know. That was it.
0: And you mm-hmm. were, I mean, pretty much the first guy to use. It,
2: yes. It was funny because uh, Will Shore was the hawk Chalk editor at that time uh, out in California. And uh, I gave a program at the NAFA meet on kites and using them and it was kind of a hit at the meet and people started calling me like crazy this is kind of before the internet was a big thing and uh, uh i what's the name will shore wanted me to write an article for hawkjock about it mm-hmm. and he informed me that at about the same time there was a guy in Australia, where falconry was not legal, that was using kites to rehab birds or something, mm-hmm. and I don't know precisely when he first put a kite up for awe, and I'd have to look to see precisely when I did it. but. I talked to him. I kind of think his last name was Maxwell. But uh, Had
1: he arrived, like, was he using Danley kites? No. And, no? no?
2: I don't okay. remember what kind of, he might have been, even been using some kind of a box kite. Okay. I can't remember. It's so long ago. But anyway. Yeah. Interesting. So it's kind of simultaneous on the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, and I had one guy claim that they used kites back in Michigan. Back in the day, you know, in the 60s or something, but I've not heard of any of it from anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than the one person, and he was a little bit windy. <laughs> so, I uh, don't Doesn't matter. Yeah. Somebody, sooner or later, somebody was going to do that, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Oh, and that's that was my first exposure to long wings, was when you had those jur hybrids, uh-huh. when I first started to get into it, uh, mm-hmm. into falconry. and... Uh, running the kite up for them and that <laughs> that crazy telemetry chase that we went on uh-huh. on that bird I don't know what possessed her to take off that yeah. day yeah. but I just remember you know seeing this bird you know and I had only seen red tails up to that point uh-huh. on the glove and having a row and just going oh my gosh they are so incredibly powerful Yeah, like yeah she's really powerful as she's cranking up in a, way. In a way. and I'd never used telemetry or anything before and so you're Driving through the cornfield at seventy <laughs> miles an hour, and I'm
1: bouncing around the truck, trying and you're trying to uh, tell me how to, you know, yeah. use the augie and all right, that. To right. is an M10 that like oh I know fills up the entire cab. Yeah, yeah, I
2: know. Yeah, was that t- a, like a three quarter jur maybe. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember the, the that. The she black up, female. Yeah, she she went down to Corning.
0: Yeah, we caught her in the headlights of the or uh, uh, not caught her, but yeah, we called her down you, to the yeah. headlights in the truck. Right, that
1: was. Got her back. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It seems like birds end up in Corning from our training I've field. I've had
2: it happen so many times. It's like there's a magnet there. I don't know what. Pigeons, well, you know maybe? what though? That valley points in that direction. Yeah. They go down that valley and end up in Corning. Yeah, I think there. that's maybe part of it.
0: Sure. It's about the right timing. You know what? When you're flying and the mm-hmm. wind's right, and mm-hmm. you know that's about how far they get before they go. Yeah. yeah. I think i didn't stop here for the night. For the night. The night you know. Yeah. 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 How far is it? Uh,
2: it's probably from the field that we she left from. It's probably five miles. I would gotcha. guess. Hard to know. You can't go there in a straight line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. But it's it's several miles probably. Yeah. So it's through the block. So
1: I imagine that was quite mm-hmm. a learning curve. Uh, coming up with the kite and which kites to use and what kind of line to use yeah
2: and yeah I, the the balloon thing because i started with a balloon equipment okay and it wasn't adequate uh-huh. you know i mean a balloon you could use a 30 pound test string probably yeah um, but some of these kites especially the parafoils i mean they really pull
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know I mean, one time uh i had a guy here from the saint joe paper and he was taking photos and going to write an article about falconry, how I was doing it. And it was really ripping hard. And it, the, I was out in a brome field. The brome was probably 10 inches high. And my winch, which at that time was like 50 pounds, started sliding across the brome fast enough <coughs> that, uh, that I couldn't catch up to it. Oh, my oh. gosh. I mean, it was ripping. I was using it then. I was using a a uh, big delta conine, which is a combination box kite, delta kite. The middle of it is a box. I think I remember, remember those. Yeah. And they, they, oh my gosh, there's so much drag on them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're lucky if they fly at 45 degrees, which means, that, you know, they get a lot, a lot of, of pull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of flying, they just drag, you know. Right. It's like when you're skiing and you're trying to get up on your skis and you keep the point of your skis straight up, mm-hmm. it just drags, you know. And uh, yeah, I had the equipment was that was a learning curve. Yeah, learning how to.
1: And at that time, there were no parachutes.
2: No. Oh gosh, that was the other thing. So you I had did, the
1: so the you attach a lure, right below the kite somewhere. Right. Right. And you had a clip. Go grab it and, and then what happens? You had
2: a clip that lets go. And you also had a ring that slides on the kite line. So you okay. had what you had to do is take your roller, you turn the bird loose and run as fast as you can to the winch. Because as soon as they grab the bait, you have to run back down when run the kite line. Run down? the kite down as you go with a roller.
1: Is that to get the line vertical so they slide well, down it? Or? That
2: that too, because if you just stay there They'll slide up into the kite, which has happened, and it's a problem mm-hmm. so and you can't let that happen, so um, some people put a stop in the line to prevent the ring from sliding up, but that ain't good either, because then the kite is really getting dragged when it gets, when it gets down low, you know so yeah, it was you had to you had to be in good shape to do it, it was yeah, a lot of work. The parachute made it way easier,
1: yeah. Yeah, I remember the early days of that as well. Oh yeah. When you first were learning, you know, yeah. learning what size parachute and stuff to yeah. use, because I think yeah. was it Delta? Uh huh. I remember you used this multicolored little parachute, and it wasn't very big. And yeah. she just hauled that thing. Oh yeah, I a yeah long, I was told long yeah the
2: article that I read that uh, about the parachute pretty much made it sound like they fall straight down. And Depends
1: on the individual. Yeah. Well,
2: it's the, you know? that too, and the parachute, and the wind, and mm-hmm. how high, and all kinds of variables. Right. Some birds are smart enough to just turn into the wind and float down, and some birds just go with the wind and fly with the wind. Mm-hmm. And you know, but she, the first time she did it, she ended up 500 yards downwind, which you know, a lot of people don't have that big of a field to fly right. in. Yeah, and I, it, and it you I, know, I, luckily.
0: With that, you know, yeah. technology has advanced to a point where the kite, in some ways, is obsolete. You know, oh, drones yeah. that make it way easier. Yeah. And, uh, I had the the drone up, the good ways, and um, it was cooking. You know, fifteen miles an hour on the ground. Right. And, I I didn't have well, on one side of the field. Where I had to turn her loose at uh, the upwind side was big power lines. And oh, so I right. shied away from sure. those a little bit. Yeah. And she pulled the parachute and then let it go. Yep. So at, then it floats. Yeah. Yep. At, at a height where that was a problem. Oh, and man. she kept coming in on it. She'd grab it for a few seconds and then let it go. And then let it go. Yeah. And when, by the time I got to her, she was probably 500 plus mm. yards mm. downwind. Mm. 30 yards from the base of a tree mm-hmm. and when I got there she wasn't on the parachute Uh-oh. and then I see a red tail flying off uh, and, and I'm like what the heck I pull out my GPS and see she's still flying yeah like, okay so she, not, she didn't kill her right and she's harassed the red tail yeah and makes it leave and then she comes over but it's like good grief okay we mm-hmm. need a bigger field yeah this is not tenable
2: yeah
1: <clears throat> and need to not fly her so fat where <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she's Toying with down. the bait on the yeah. Down. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, why do you think, because at the time, the kite was, you know, revolutionary. Why would you say it was such a big deal? I mean...
2: Well, because there was a problem. Uh-huh. You know, people, for one thing, uh, uh, ger-hybrids were getting to be very popular. Mm. For good reason. Mm-hmm. uh but the pro- the downside was, they were fast enough and smart enough to figure mm-hmm. out that they didn't have to go up, mm-hmm. right? And so they tended not to, and they just they didn't just naturally go up the way some peregrines do, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I know I'm oversimplifying, and everybody right. will disagree with me, right, but right. whatever. Um, but yeah, you had people flying jurors and jur hybrids, uh, and other birds, and, and heck, some people had trouble with peregrines, prairies, whatever, not going up to the extent that they wanted, Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, And this was a way to kind of make it happen. Gotcha. Force it to happen. Yeah. You know, them going up.
1: Another tool in the toolkit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was pretty handy. Plus a conditioning thing. Because some birds...
1: It's something you can go do if you can't
2: go hawking. Right. Mm -hmm. When you can't hawk, you can do that. And... uh, and when it's too windy, that's another thing. A lot of people that I know um, don't fly their long wings if it's windy because mm-hmm. they know they won't go up, and they don't want to do that because they, they, don't, they don't want them to ever know they can have quarry flushed if they're not, you know, high enough. Right. Well, with a kite, you don't have to ground them that day. Maybe you don't hawk, but you can fly them mm-hmm. and give them great exercise. Right. And plus, be sure they're going to go up as high as you want. You know, instead of, you know, daisy clipping, yeah, like some of them do when the wind's blowing. Yeah. So.
0: What, uh, what do you think is your favorite flight that you've ever experienced? Hmm. Or any shining moments, maybe not your favorite one, but...
2: I can I can think of some fairly spectacular flights Um, you mean long wing flights or period
0: sure period whatever
2: well um, probably I I remember one time um, I remember a uh, flight with the uh, with Saab Mm -hmm. where he went pretty high just for whatever reason, the wind was blowing off of this building, this big warehouse that we were hunting near, and he went probably several hundred feet up, which was pretty cool, and we flushed a rabbit, and the wind was, he, it was blowing hard, so, and then the rabbit flushed upwind, mm-hmm. so it really slowed down his stoop, but it ended up being a pretty spectacular fur red tail, you know, stoop, and he caught this thing as it was crossing a highway. <laughs> uh like a four lane divided highway but but here's the, the thing is the highway wasn't open yet it was brand new highway you know they they built this highway right through my hunting area mm-hmm. uh and so it was like mowed grass so it was you know you could see the rabbit running and you could see the hawk was going to get to it <laughs> yeah and it was like in a theater cuz we were up on the on this bank above these Oh wow. and that was a pretty cool oh that's awesome stoop and um let's see probably um i i don't know Ida was pretty cool the paragon prairie i mean she she hammered stuff and it was uh she did some pretty nice stoops um Probably, I don't know, I probably the, la- the last prairie chicken I took with uh, Cosmo? Cosmo was pretty cool. Because he was, for him it was a nice pitch, he was probably up 900 to 1,000 feet, I would say, straight overhead, two chickens out in a um, hay field, and the hay was like short so we marked him we thought we had him marked pretty good and when we got out there we were running around looking for him you know as it always goes but when we flushed him he was straight overhead and they took off and immediately started banking so as he was coming down he was spiraling Mm -hmm. you know and he knocked this thing down that was that was and the view from straight you know below him was pretty pretty sweet
1: yeah that's awesome you
2: know you know that sound they make when they're just smoking, tearing the sky. Tearing, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that little, that like, tearing, it's like paper tearing, tearing papers. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. It's the best. That was nice. nice best sound in the world. Yeah.
0: I'm looking forward to hearing some more of that this year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing. It's a sound you don't
1: forget.
0: Yeah.
2: For sure.
1: Hmm. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am about out of gas. Okay.
0: I got one more question. We can end on this if you want.
1: Okay.
0: So, falconry can be a pretty cruel mistress. Mm-hmm. No shortage of challenges and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. What is it about the sport that keeps you coming back?
2: Insanity. <laughs> I don't know. It, um, I, you know, for a while I actually gave it up. Yeah. Yeah. When? When I was really hard into bow hunting. Yeah. I, I sold my books, you know. Yeah, I, my this birthright, was after, I yeah. remember that. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I yeah. remember when you sold my you, birthright yeah, right, for a bowl right. of soup. I, I think if you're ever really a falconer, you, you don't have to keep doing it to always be a falconer. Yeah. That's that's my philosophy. And I think I'll always be a falconer. Even yeah. if I can't physically do it. You know, it's funny.
0: I, I took a couple of years off when mm-hmm. my wife was to, uh, going through PT school. and mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, at times it's like, this is kind of nice not having to deal with everything that goes along with it. Sure. But it's in my blood. Yeah. And I don't think it'll, well... I hope that there's never a period in my life where I'm not at least someone involved in it yeah. because those the predator prey interactions that we get to see on a daily basis mm-hmm. are the things that people spend lifetimes and millions of dollars to get to witness you know mm-hmm. very infrequently I mean like you look at like Planet Earth shows yeah it's you know they've got tens of thousands of dollars worth of camera equipment and all mm-hmm. these people that are dedicated to capturing it and trying to show it. Mm-hmm. And they don't ever get to show it as well as we get to see it.
2: And it doesn't, uh, no matter how, and I've seen some amazing photography, but no matter what you do with a camera, it's not the same as seeing no. it. It just isn't. It's like a hockey game. No. It isn't the same in person right. as it is on film. It, yeah. Sometimes it's you can see more on film, Mm-hmm. Obviously. Mm-hmm. just the like
1: experience isn't the same. It isn't the same. And, no. the,
2: and like the sound, even. Mm-hmm. The sound is different. It's different for a hockey game, mm-hmm. it's different for a falconry, too.
0: And it's so much more potent when it is coming to fruition because of your efforts. Yeah. Oh and yeah. that you are a participant in it oh, yeah. rather than a spectator.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think, you know, when I. I kind of, when I went off on my bow hunting tangent, which, I mean, I still bow hunt, but uh, there was a period where I just thought, I, I'm just gonna bow hunt, I'm not gonna do any falconry anymore. But uh, I think part of the thing that I was going through is I, I was kind of conscious of the fact that a falconer isn't a hunter. He's, he isn't the hunter. He, he does all kinds of things strategically like a hunter does. Mm-hmm. But he's watching and facilitating the hunter. Mm-hmm. He's not the hunter. And I, I kind of wanted to do that. Yeah. I, I kind of because when I was a kid, when I first got into hawks, I hunted rabbits with a frog gig. I mean, me and my <laughs> friends, we any way we could kill them. If we could yeah. kill them with a broom, we did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were, we were hunters. We were the we were idiots, but we were hunters. You know, we used ferrets. We caught rabbits in drain pipes. With ferrets, you know, we any way to do it. Yeah, we were excited about any way to catch and get any kind of little quarry. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, the bow hunting was me the hunter, sure, me doing the killing, me doing the, you know, <clears throat> being the actual hunter.
0: Yeah, you know? it's funny. That's one of the first things he ever said to me. What's that was. Yeah, falconry's cool, but have you ever tried bow hunting? <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time I ever came to your house and met you. Yeah, because those of you who don't know, David was my sponsor. You know, um, the guy that helped me get started in the sport. And Graham wasn't flying at the time, and um, yeah, came over to the house and met you. And that was one of the first things that you said, which. You know, talk about taking the wind out of a kid's sail. <laughs> but, I mean, it was like I, w- I had started bow hunting at that time myself. And so I was like, yeah, like, I get it. And especially once I really got more serious into it. Like, yeah, there's, like, falconry is very different um, but, and impactful in different ways. But there's something about sending an arrow through a deer yeah, uh, that just speaks to you. Sure. And, you And know, it's a different bone but it's it's still powerful
2: well when you're sitting in that tree and watching the wildlife especially a big animal like that and it doesn't know you're there Mm -hmm. you are you are probably sensing a primal feeling that a lion or a tiger or a hawk you know any predator feels when his prey is right there Mm mm-hmm You can almost touch it, and it does still doesn't know you're there. Yeah. You know, you're you're conscious of your uh, that you haven't been seen yet. Yeah. You know, and even if you're not going to shoot it, when a deer comes in and does acts naturally right under your tree, you know you're you're witnessing stuff that predators get to see from a perspective that predators get to see it. Right. And you are the predator Mm -hmm. yourself.
0: I value those experiences a lot.
2: Yeah, and you feel more like a predator, mm-hmm. you know, with a gun. They're 300 yards away. It's like a video game. You know right. what I mean? It's yeah. But when they're right on top of you, like bow hunting, then they're, you're then they're you're close. Really, yeah, you, you can you've, hear.
0: You've put in the effort and yeah. the practice to you yeah. know be competent and, enough, to and you do got it yourself
2: and, in that geographic position yeah. that you know which right. in itself is the challenge. Yeah.
0: Love it. Yeah. I love it. But. All right. I think we'll end on that note. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you for listening.
1: happy hawking.